So today we're going to continue with these uh, insights in the Gospels. Last week we looked at three uh, women, how Jesus interacted with them, and what uh, lessons they have to teach from us, uh, for us. We, we looked at uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, who was confronted with a task that was going to involve scandal and extreme difficulty. And her reaction was, man, I'll be called blessed by people of all generations, be it unto me as a handmaiden of the Lord. Whatever you want me to do, that's awesome. You have my best interest at heart. Amazing illustration of faith. We looked at Mary Magdalene, who was cured of demons and was a very wealthy lady and apparently one of his top donors, if not the top donor. So she took her comfort and her money and said, you got a great ministry, I got money. I'll follow you around, I'll help, and was the first person Jesus appeared to. We saw Mary, the sister of Martha, who uh, understood that although service is important, sometimes it's just important to build a relationship and understand and to listen. And a lot of, I mean, Jesus wants us to go into action. The first step before we act is to listen. So today what we're going to do is look at three other people, and this time we're going to look at three Gentiles. Now if you go through the Gospels and look for interactions with Gentiles, you don't really find that much. Uh, you find the interaction of Jesus with Pilate, who was a Gentile. That's, that's something that's uh, uh, talked about in several of the Gospels, and if not all. Uh, actually, let me see, I've got my notes here. I think it is in all of them. You uh, see a handful of other things, but they're really not that not that many. It's it's mainly a Jewish book, uh, and it's a Jewish uh, audience that he's uh, addressing and a Jewish audience he's sent to. But there are some uh, notable interactions with Gentiles, so we're going to go through three. And first, uh, if you'll go to Matthew chapter eight, we're going to look at Jesus's interaction with a centurion. And this interaction is very interesting because he interacts with the centurion without ever talking to him, which is very interesting. Uh, so first we'll read the uh, um, Matthew 8 version of this. And uh, let's start in uh, verse 5. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I'll come in healing. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy. You should come under my roof. But only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go. And he goes. And to another one, come. And he comes. And to my servant, do this. And he does it when Jesus heard it, he marveled. So uh, we have a Luke 7 also, we have the uh, episode. Let's look at Luke 7 because it has a real interesting uh, twist on this. Luke 7, now when he had concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. His headquarters city was Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant, who was dear to him, was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, 
he, the centurion, sent elders of the Jews to him, Jesus, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation, and he built us a synagogue. If you've been to the Capernaum, there's a synagogue there. And apparently, the financing for this synagogue came from this centurion, or at least one of the predecessors of that synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself. I'm not worthy you should enter under my roof. So Matthew uh, just talks about the interaction as between, being between Jesus and the centurion, because it was. But it, Luke gives us an additional detail here, that actually the entire interaction went through intermediaries. So the centurion is using Jewish intermediaries who knew him and and knew that he really was a, a believer in God and, a, and cared deeply for the uh, nation of Israel. So let's go back to Matthew. And let's see, just look at Jesus' reaction here. Centurion, of course, is a Roman uh, officer and a, a commander of a number of uh, uh, Roman troops. And the Roman army was not a beloved... Um, group by the Jews. Uh, and in fact, in this area here, you've got zealots and zealot sympathizers all through this belt. Uh, the headquarters of the zealot is just down the roadways in Gamla. And uh, so, and their, their goal was really to kill all the Romans. They were assassins, many of them. And so this is a quite remarkable incident here that you have uh, taking place. So, uh, so Going back to, let's say, let's pick it back up in, in verse 8 again, Matthew 8, 8. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy you should come under my roof. Only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. He was a Roman centurion, a Roman officer. If you're a Roman officer and somebody disobeys you, what's going to happen? It's not going to be good, right? That, that's not the way things are done in the Roman army. Okay, so he says, I understand authority. And the, the things within my sphere of authority, if I say it, it happens. And I understand your sphere of authority because I know who you are. And if you want something to happen, it'll happen. Just say it. You don't have to be here. And Jesus says, and Jesus marveled. He said, wow, this is really something. And then this is what Jesus says in verse 10. Assuredly, I say to you, I've not found such great faith. Not even in Israel. Now why would he say not even in Israel? Okay, yeah, yeah, because is the centurion part of Israel? No, no, he's not. This is, so here's a guy who's not part of Israel... As a matter of fact, he's part of the occupying force that a lot of my friends and neighbors are trying to get rid of. And that's the example of faith I want to hold up. I hadn't found faith like this. And then he uses this as a teaching moment to this group of emissaries who are Jews who are coming and saying, hey, this guy asked for something. We think you ought to do it because he's been really good to us. Verse 11. And I say to you, now he's talking to Israel. Many will come from east and west. Now, what are they hearing? What are these Jews hearing when he says, Many will come from east and west? Where's east? 
Who comes from the east? Yeah, the Babylonians. Dr. Anderson says the Babylonians come from the north because they come up the, you know, they come up through the uh, uh, Fertile Crescent. But the Arabs, for, perhaps the Edomites, perhaps uh, come from the east. Who comes from the west? The Romans. The Romans come from the west. So he's telling the he's telling these Israelites here. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of Gentiles that are, that are going to come, including the Romans. And sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you're if you're a if you're a Jew, if you're an Israelite, and you hear the word kingdom of heaven, what are you what are you hearing? Who's going to be sitting on the throne in kingdom of heaven? Son of David, Messiah, right? Is it going to be a floaty, cloudy thing, or is it going to be a on earth thing? On earth thing. What's the headquarters going to be? Jerusalem, right? So this is the kingdom. This is what they were waiting for is the kingdom. Jesus never uh, denuded them of that idea. He just basically said, heart first. Change the heart, then we can have the physical kingdom. Repent for the kingdom of his hand. If you'll change your hearts, then the physical form will do you some good. If you don't change your hearts first, the physical form is not going to help anything. Okay, heart first. And so he says, they're going to come sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So you got the kingdom of heaven, you got King David. Where's the seat of honor going to be? It's going to be with King David, right? You're going to be with the son of David. Who's going to be the most honored guest in the nation of Israel in the kingdom of heaven? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? They're the, they're the patriarchs. This is a patriarchal society where the, 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 the founders get a special place. We still do that today. We have founders banquets and chairman emeritus and founders uh, um, uh, awards and things like that. So the founders get to sit. So this is the place of honor in the kingdom. And who's going to sit down in the place of honor with the kingdom? The Gentiles. The Romans. Now, this is a this is a mind blowing thing. Why would he say that at this point in time? Why would he make this point? What did he just see? Yeah, f- amazing faith. And what's going to be honored in the kingdom is amazing faith, not genetic connection. But. The sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness. Whoa, 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 whoa. Who is these sons of the kingdom? If they're cast into outer darkness, they must be unbelievers then, right? If they're cast into outer darkness, then they must be going to hell, right? No, no, not at all. Let's look at sons of the kingdom. Let's flip over to Matthew 21. We'll see this phrase again. Matthew chapter 15. Sorry, chapter 15. And we'll look at verse 21. Chapter 15. Nope, 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 nope. That's not it. Matthew 13. Matthew 13. And let's start in verse 36. So you know the parable of the wheat and the tares, and I'm not going to go into that parable, but I want to just uh, note this phrase from the explanation then Jesus sent the multitude away went into the house 
his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. A tear looks just like a wheat plant, but it doesn't have a seed in the husk. Okay, so it looks awesome, but doesn't have any usefulness. So he answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. Who's the Son of Man? Jesus. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. Seen that phrase before? We just saw it, right? The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. The tares are the sons of the wicked one. So what's the son of the kingdom? Yeah, one that has faith. One that's doing what they're supposed to be doing. One that's righteous. Verse 43, then the righteous will shine forth. So I think what we're talking about here is uh, we're talking about uh, believers uh, who are part of the nation of Israel because we're contrasting here with uh, Gentiles. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 8 and see what happens to the son of the kingdom. So the sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness. Now we're sitting down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What's the picture here? The picture is of like a banquet. Banquets usually held at night. And in the, in the eastern context, the center, the center, the center uh, of the banquet is the place of greatest honor. There's the most light there. As you get further from the place of honor, the dishes get perhaps less uh, tasty. And there's a lot less light. Outer darkness, you just don't get invited. You're excluded. So there's this honor banquet, and you didn't get an invitation, basically. Because what are we honoring? What's the point here? What are we honoring? Great faith, right? So there's going to be Israelites who are believers who didn't live a life of great faith, and they're just going to be left out. And who's going to be at the seat with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who did have great faith? is going to be people from the east and the west. This, like this centurion who is making you look bad. You folks, you look bad because he really understands what faith looks like. Then Jesus said to the centurion through the emissaries, go your way. And as you have believed, so let it be done to you. As you have believed, so let it be done to you. Ah, but I skipped a verse. Verse 12, the sons of the kingdom, sons of the kingdom, will be cast into outer darkness and there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, weeping and gnashing of teeth is is an eastern sign of mourning. That's what they did when somebody died or something like that. Maybe throwing dust in the air. Uh, Why would there be great sadness for being excluded from a great banquet of honor? Why would you be sad at that? You got missed out. Yeah, you missed out. You had your opportunity and you you blew it. In my view, which is obviously speculative because the Scripture tells us that even though we're told all this stuff about the world that's to come, it's beyond our capability of understanding. And it tells us that point blank. But in my view, this weeping and gnashing of teeth, this... Uh, uh, Wood, hay, stubble that's burned up. You're saved, though as through fire. Suffering, loss, all these pictures of the things that happen before all tears are wiped away. The, the, the main aspect of that is going to be 
the realization and the processing and the learning that takes place because we realize what we could have had and we lost the opportunity. This is the only chance we ever get to live by faith, folks. Faith, hope, and love are the three great things. Two of them go away. What's the only one that's left? Yeah. Why does faith go away? Yeah, you can see it, right? You can't have, you can't believe what you see. So uh, Jesus is using here a hated Gentile as an example to make a to to the people of Israel, and and this is just part of. Even though he came to Israel, he's trying to use that as a beachhead because obviously from the commission that he gave the apostle Paul and the Old Testament. The whole point of Israel in the first place was to bring the whole world to Jesus. To bring the whole world. They're supposed to be a priestly nation. And when Israel got spanked is when they weren't doing their priestly duty of showing the world what a great society looked like and this is how you ought to live. Which is supposed to be bringing people to Jesus. So this centurion, I will look forward to meeting this centurion. Okay, What, what had he spent his life doing? Serving Rome, being a soldier. What do soldiers do? Kill people. Right? And Jesus says, boy, this is an awesome guy. Now, he's killing people on behalf of the law. And Romans 13 tells us that's the wrath of God. When the sword is used to advance righteousness... That is God's judgment being exercised and the wrath of God for good. Okay? So the Roman soldier, here, here he's doing his duty for a pagan organization and Jesus says, wow, what great faith that guy has. Kind of messes with people's paradigms here, doesn't it? So the Roman centurion, really awesome example. So let's go to, to uh, back to a female and let's look at the woman from Tyre. Flip over to uh, Matthew chapter 15. And we get the woman from Tyre. Tyre is modern day Lebanon. Just north of Israel. Uh, One of the the things that Jesus said that really got him in trouble with his Jewish uh, audience was when he said, hey, you know, Elijah didn't really heal anybody except the widows from Tyre during this time period. And they they really made them mad. So they're up in this region. It doesn't tell us what he's doing there. They might have been just trying to get away. It might have been a vacation, you know, they can't get away. It might be that he's up here for this purpose, for this particular outreach, doesn't say. just says they're there. And behold, a woman of Canaan, Canaanite, came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. So that phrase, son of David, what does that mean? Messiah. Messiah. Yeah, she's, she's recognizing he's the Messiah. And she's a Canaanite from, from a, you know, this Gentile country. My daughter's severely demon-possessed. He didn't say a word to her, answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries after us. Now, what, so what is that telling you? She's very persistent, right? And the disciples... So she whines so much. Now the disciples are starting to whine. Send her away. She's driving us crazy. 
So she's not letting up. And Jesus, so finally, when it gets to the point where the disciples can't take it anymore, Jesus finally says something. And he answers and says, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Well, that's a compassionate thing to say, isn't it? What's Jesus doing here? Why won't he? He won't answer her. And then when he does answer, he says, I didn't come, I didn't come to say anything to you. I'm, I'm, I'm for the Israelites. You're just a lowly Gentile. Kind of interesting, don't you think? What's that? He's setting the table. He is setting the table. Why do you think he's persecuting this woman, though? Isn't God's job to make us all comfortable? And make us happy? Why is he antagonizing this poor lady? That's even worse. She's got a need. But he answered and said, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, the Gentiles called the... I'm sorry, the Jews called the Gentiles dogs. That's one of, one of the... And a dog, there was two, two, two animals that were kind of the um, top um, mascots for nastiness in the, in the Jewish vocabulary. First would be swine. Second would be dog. Okay? We're Gentiles. We like dogs. And we like pigs. Anybody here like bacon? I really like bacon, yeah. So we don't have this problem. Okay, so he said, you know, it's not good for the little children's bread and talk, call it to the dogs. So what, since I'm ignoring her and, uh, and, and giving her kind of a, uh, you're, you're not good enough, you know, kind of a put down, you're just a Gentile, why not go ahead and throw an insult in there? You're just a dog. Real interesting way to interact with people. <laughs> and she said, Yes, Lord, even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. <laughs> this lady's pretty shrewd, huh? So she's really persistent. And she's pretty shrewd. And Jesus answered and said, O oh, woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. The daughter was healed from that very hour. Let's look at the Mark 7 version of this same event. Over in verse 24, Mark 7, 24. From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. He entered a house, wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit about him and she fell at his feet. So this sounds like it was a vacation. He just, i got to get away from the crowds for a while, perhaps. Uh, the woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, let the children be filled first. It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumb. He said to her, For this saying, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to the house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. So what can we take from this interaction Jesus has with this lady? He obviously wanted to give her what he desired, but he made her go through this kind of period of agony first. Because first she's just 
pastor, 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 pastor. Does that remind you of a parable Jesus told? Yeah. Yeah, the, un, the unrighteous judge. Just because the lady wouldn't leave him alone, he finally gave her justice. Why would God want us to go through a period of just asking, 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 asking? And then he said, meh, you know, you're not really who I was focusing on. He's like, well, can you just... Yeah, yeah, but there's this other principle. At least there's crumbs. Hope and faith, yeah. And, and, and here's the best I can do, because uh, I, would, I would say from my standpoint, I'd rather just ask and receive. But for just me. And I was trying to think about, well, why would God do this? And I thought about little babies. And when they're starting to learn how to scoot or how to reach. And what we all do. We take something like a little baby shaker or something. We put it just out of their reach. And we say, you can get it. You can get it. And they're... <laughs> Now, at that point in time, have any of you ever said, what's wrong with you? Aren't you so cruel? You have the power to give that baby shaker to that baby. What are you doing? You're antagonizing her. She's not comfortable right now. Why do you... We all understand, right? We're trying to help them grow. This is by being able to reach something. You know, that's, that's progress, right? So, I think we kind of are babies, don't you? Compared to God's our Father, we're little children and baby. And and what God's what Jesus is doing there, He's He wants to give her the desire, right? Because when you do this thing I'm talking about with the babies, you don't put it in the other room. Go get the go get the rattler. Go get it. What's wrong with you? Yeah, well you, you put it there where she can see it, right? So that's you're helping her out. So he didn't push her past what she was capable of. But he bring her along and understand. And he says at the end, great is your faith for this saying. You know, I, because you understand, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a reward. Now that's interesting too. Because Jesus here is kind of using these, I, I'd, I'm going to answer your request sort of as, a, as an inducement to keep up this behavior. Kind of interesting. God could just make every all the sickness go away. He will at some point in time. But really, all these circumstances, He's just using to train us. Aren't you? Aren't you ready? Done? Are you ready to be done being trained? You know, sit down, find your grandchild or your child, your five-year-old or something, and just sit down and say, uh, "Would you like all this discipline stuff just to go away? Just we'll just stop. You can just do whatever you want to from now on." I'll bet you that I'll say, yeah, that's a good idea. But that would not be good for them, right? You know, I think Dallas Willard talks a lot about asking as one of the kind of fundamental parts of our relationship with God. And instead of, you know, we're bothering Him all the time, they we're really supposed to be asking. Supposed to be asking Him all the time about everything. All the time about everything. Do, do you notice the similarity about what these two characters are asking for? They're both asking something for somebody else that they really care for. That's interesting, isn't it? That's very interesting. What Do you mostly ask things for other people? Yeah, Mark? What's well, striking in both of these, he could have easily ignored 
Sure. To turn his back, but he engaged. Yes. Through them, the point of where they were. Yeah, there's a real poignant lesson in both of these, right? Well, so let's go to the third one, because there's, there's another prayer that happens here, and somebody's going to pray for themselves in this next one. So let's go to uh, Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. And we're going to get another Gentile. Over in verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. Let's just flip over to Mark 5 real quick. And I'll I'll just want to show you where, where this is. Mark 5, chapter 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea. Anytime you see the phrase other side, you're talking about the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee and uh, the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. Then he saw Jesus from afar and ran and worshipped him, and he ran and cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. Now, it's interesting here, it uses the phrase, worshipped him. This is a little bit of an aside, okay? So, what do you think that's happening here? Do you think that the Gadarene demoniac went and grabbed a guitar and started singing Chris Tomlin songs? Okay, prostrate. And the particular act that he's doing, and because prostrating doesn't have to be a physical prostration, the act he's doing here is acknowledging who Jesus is. So I would say, in my view, we have way too narrow idea about what worship is. Uh, worship is, when, if we want to really worship all day long, if we'll live in such a way that we acknowledge God in all of our steps... That's what really true worship is. And when we sing, where it's really preparation for the rest of worship. That's my view. I'm a big music fan. I'm not, I'm not downplaying music. I just think it's, much, it's just one part of the thing. Okay, so then uh, verse 7. He cried out, I implore you, you do not torment me. So this is the demon speaking. For he said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. So Jesus has said, come out of the man. And the, and the demon's answer is, I know you're God. I know you have authority over me. Please don't, please don't torment me. And he answered, and he says, uh, what's your name? And he says, my name's Legion, for we are many. Now, Legion was a Roman uh, uh, battalion that had like, you know, hundreds of people in it. So, and he begged him earnestly that he would not send him out of the country. Now there was a herd of swine feeding there in the mountains, so all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. Okay, so let's go back to uh, Luke. Luke chapter uh, 8. We'll get the Luke version. 
Verse 26, Then he sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man of the city. Um, from the city you had demons for a long time. The city here, I, I don't know which city he's talking about, but the big city on this side is actually a Decapolis city uh, called Sasita or Hippus. And it's just up the hill from the shore that he would have landed on here. Uh, and he saw Jesus fell down before him with a loud voice, said, What I, I have to you do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had often seized him and was kept under guard, he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he would break the bonds, was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Jesus asked him, saying, What's your name? He said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. They begged him. He would not command them to go into the abyss. Now this is an interesting, this is a word, abysos. If you go to Revelation 20, there's this episode where there's all these demons let out of the bottomless pit. Have you ever read that? Same word, abysos. So they're saying, don't send us to the bottomless pit. So apparently, this is like time out for demons to go to the bottomless pit. Perhaps... The, the place in Jude where it says that there's certain demons kept under chains who didn't obey the rules but cohabited with women. You ever read that part? Maybe that's the bottomless pit. If you're the really bad guys, go to the bottomless pit. So he said, don't send me to the bottomless pit. Don't put me in time out. This seems to be his big concern. So uh, where am I? So 32, so now a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountain. So he begged him first he'd permit them to enter them. And he permitted them. And the demons went out of the man, entered the swine. The herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. Um, and then those who fed them saw what had happened, who fed the swine. They fled and told it to the city and in the country. And they went out to see what had happened, came to Jesus, found the man from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And also those who had seen it told them by what means he who had been demon-possessed was healed. Then the whole multitude of the surrounding region of Gadarenes asked him to go away. Isn't that crazy? This is not the centurion faith that we're seeing here, is it? Please go away. So what's the lesson they got from this? This guy's really powerful. Demons obeying. We lost a hold of pigs. Yeah. I mean, the demon guy, he wasn't hurting us that bad, but we lost our pigs. Go away. Interesting. It's kind of interesting how, what lessons people take from things. So he's got in the boat and returned. Now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him he might return with him, that he might return with him. Let me go with you. But Jesus sent him away and said, Return to your own house and tell the things God has done for you. He went his way and proclaimed through the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. Now if we go back to the uh, Mark uh, 5 passage, we can see what city this is. Mark 5. And if you look down in uh, verse 19, let's, start, let's just read 18. Uh, 
And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and marveled. So Decapolis, Deca, 10, Polis, city. There were 10 Greek cities in the Decapolis. One of them just up the hill from where this episode happened. Uh, One down in Israel. If you go to Israel, you can go to Bet Shan. It was a Decapolis city. Most of the rest of them were up in the Jordan area. What is today uh, modern day Jordan. So what Jesus did here is created a missionary to the Decapolis. And it's interesting to the rich young ruler, he said, sell everything, follow me. To the Gadarene demoniac, he said, go and tell the people what what was done to you. Because each person has a different role. Each person needs a different thing. It's not, it's not the same for all of us. But it is the same for all of us to do as Jesus asks us to do. Now, in the first two episodes, you have the centurion, and he has a prayer. And he prays for someone else. And the uh, widow, or the, not the widow, the woman from Tyre has a prayer, right? And is praying for her daughter. There's a prayer in this one too. Who makes it? The demons. Yeah, because what's the gathering demoniac doing? The man himself. Yeah, he's just in a coma, right? He's not even he's not even in the equation until the demons are sent away, and then he has a request, and his request is what? Can I come with you? And Jesus says, No. But you can do something much greater. Go tell your friends what God's done for you. Now, occasionally you'll hear people say something like, God doesn't answer the prayers of the fill in the blank. Whatever they fill a blank in with, could they be worse than Legion? Is it really anybody God won't listen to? Is there any really anybody God doesn't have compassion on? He could put all the demons in the bottomless pit right now. Which I think would be a good idea. <laughs> and he is going to put them all in the bottomless pit at the end of the uh, at the end of this age for all the millennium. And he lets them out for just a little while. And people who have been living for a thousand years in a near perfect society, when they're tempted again, they rebel again. Kind of a crazy thing about us as humans. So we got three three people here, three Gentiles, and in each in the first two cases, the point Jesus seems to want to make is the the amazing thing that faith is, and faith is for everybody. Uh, and so we see from uh, the centurion, he understands authority, he understands trust, and he understands reality. And here's the reality for us: look. God's under uh, has the authority over everything. He can do anything he wants to. Whatever he does must be in our best interest. And we can trust him. But he wants us to learn faith and sometimes he'll answer our prayers the way we want him to. Sometimes it's something else. But he liked the fact that the centurion was asking and was believing 
you know, I know you can do it. If you want to do it, you will. The lady from Tyre shows us persistence and perseverance. You need something? She showed us in faith, and she knew that Jesus could do what she wanted to and just wouldn't relent. And she was willing to give him reasons why. And he liked it. So I think there, you know, God always knows what's in our best interest. He's not going to give us something we don't. If the baby's reaching for the sulfuric acid under the sink, he's not going to say, come on, come on, get it. Oh, here, let me help you. That's 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 because that's going to hurt us, okay? But when we really desire something and God wants us to have it, I mean, He likes to give that to us. If if there's something better, He'll let us know that too. This morning, I felt led to read Hebrews 11 with my family. Yeah. So it's amazing that you picked this topic, you know, and uh, that, that verse that says that we must believe that God exists and He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him, you know, and. Uh, that's what faith is. Yeah, right. If you want, if you want to, if you want to please God, right. you have faith and faith, yeah, and believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Diligently seek Him. The woman from Tyre is a great example of what diligently seek Him, and He'll and He'll reward us. Now He may or may not give us what we ask for, but you know James tells us that if we don't ask and don't get, it's usually because we're asking for the wrong reason. And both of these cases, we got obviously really good reasons. Now, I imagine, pretty sure, those both those people that are healed are dead now. So there's still a time and a place for everything, right? But you know, God, He's teaching us, He's growing us up, and He wants us to be persistent. He wants us to understand He's under authority and He can do anything He wants to. And then you got this demoniac; He's basically just out of it. He didn't ask for anything. And Jesus just showed up and threw the demons out. So sometimes God just intervenes. He's, there, was no, there was really no faith involved on the guy's part. Jesus just come in and said, I need to give you a fresh start. And the demons are gone. The guy's like, I've, had, I've followed these demons. I don't like that very much. Can I follow you? And so sometimes there's just a paratrooper operation. And thank, thankfully, thankfully that's the case. And what the what? But what he did is he immediately understood what was being asked of him and obeyed. The first two kind of got what they were wanting, and this guy didn't get what he was wanting. But God said, "Do something else instead." And he said, "Okay, you want me to do that? I will." So I think we're three. Uh, Gentiles that we can identify with, that Jesus uses as examples. And obviously, he's calling all of us to uh, be part of the grafted in as part of the nation of Israel. So we don't have to take from this that we're not part of that. Because many from east and west will come and sit down at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I want to be one of those. And I know the way to do it is to live a life of centurion-like faith. He wants us to be persistent and ask. He wants us to ask for the right reasons. Why? He's growing us up. He's helping us learn. The woman of Tyre is a good example of that. And sometimes God just comes in and intervenes. And when He does, let's, let's be awake when that happens. And let's look for an opportunity to, for obedience. Not, not a, how come you did that? Uh, you know, <clears throat> you, you ruined my pig herd. Why don't, why don't you go away? 
All right. Thanks, God, for these great three people that you put in your Gospels for us to learn from and identify with. I praise that we'll take these lessons and uh, live them this week. In Jesus' name, amen.